right. Hey, Summit Church, all 15 of you. Yeah, maybe 25. Uh, you know, as I was down here waiting for everybody to come in, um, I was like me and like two other people in here, and I was thinking like, it's really a good thing that we don't post who's preaching, because if we did that, it would be a lot harder for me to believe that everyone's gone because of Memorial Day, not because I'm here. So please let me believe that, even if that's not true, because um, that's what I'm going to choose to believe tonight. And uh, like Andy mentioned, for the last six weeks or so, we've been in the book of Luke, and we've been looking at stories of people meeting Jesus for the very first time. What we've seen in each of these stories is that after they've met Jesus, they've come away changed, right? They've come away permanently changed. All right, and then at the, um, so the story that we're going to look at tonight, we're wrapping up this series. So we're looking at another story, and the cool thing about this one is that we're actually going to meet two people, all right? So there's two people in this story um, that we're going to meet that met Jesus, and um, both of these people um, had a miracle happen. And so in this story, um, scholars refer to this as a double miracle, and it's one of the only double miracles in the Gospels. So that's kind of um, significant about this story. The other thing about this story is that um, in it, we see Jesus on his way to do one miracle when the other miracle interrupts it. All right, so it's actually been called the interrupted miracle by some people. Uh, so let's just talk about interruptions uh, for just a minute. I know that, that when I said that, like, none of you were like, oh, like, I can't wait to hear what he's going to say about interruptions. Like, how, how can I get more of those in my life, right? Like, you all kind of had, like, a negative kind of connotation um, when I said interruption. Like, because interruptions, they're, like, they're intrinsically kind of negative, right? They're typically not a positive thing. Like, no one really looks forward to them. Um, like, even if you're the least type A person in the room, all right, like, you're type Z. I don't think that's a type, but you're type Z. Like, you don't look forward to interruptions when you're trying to get something done. And um, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about all the different things that we do uh, to try to minimize interruptions. And one thing I thought of was headphones, right? Headphones are kind of the universal sign that you don't want to be bothered, right? You put those in or on. It's kind of like, you know, the bigger the cans, the more important you are, the more you have to get done, right? Um, like, don't bother me. This is productivity zone. Um, another thing I thought about is in the business world, like, interruptions are really, really frowned upon. And so, like, lately I've been trying to, like, do some reading and research about, like, how I can be more productive and increase my workflow and stuff like that. And um, I was kind of blown away, like, how many resources there were on how to minimize interruptions in your day. And some of them are really practical, you know, like uh, taking email notifications off your phone um, or like not having your email open all day, like stuff like that that can be really helpful. But minimizing interruptions is a huge topic. Um, It's actually a field that people study uh, how to minimize interruptions um, in your day. Um, But you know what's, what's even worse than interruptions in our schedule or interruptions when we're trying to get something done? Is, uh, is an interruption when you've already been waiting for something, like waiting a really, really long time for something. So think like, kind of think about like a little kid who's waiting for Christmas. Or maybe, maybe some of you guys feel like a little kid when you're waiting for Christmas. And, uh, you know, you started counting down the days since, you know, December 1st. You made your advent calendar. Uh, but maybe you messed up on your advent calendar, like you're a day off. And so like Christmas rolls around and you wake up and you're all excited to open presents and it's Christmas Eve, right? And so like, you can imagine like the disappointment, how unwelcome that slight interruption in the Christmas season would be for you. Or um, think about, I, I know some of you, you're engaged right now, or maybe you're recently married, so you're not far uh, from engagement. And so like, I'm not that far from engagement either, to be honest. And uh, I remember what it was like. And if I'm honest with you, 
Like, engagement wasn't that fun. And my wife is not offended by that because she agrees. Like, it was not the best time of our, of our dating relationship because we just wanted to be married. Um, and it, ours was short. Ours was like three months. Um, but that was three months too long, in my opinion. And uh, so some of you are there right now. Like, you're getting married this summer um, or maybe the end of the summer or this fall, and you, you're over it. Like, you're over all the planning you don't care who sits where at the reception. You don't care what color the centerpieces are. Like, you're just ready to be married. And um, I know some of you are smiling right now because I've talked to you, and you're like, yeah, I'm there. Um, but think about, like, you probably had nightmares, you know, of stuff going wrong that would, like, interrupt that day or interrupt um, you being married, like someone getting sick or not showing up or something horrific like that. <clears throat> but some of you, you might have had this experience. Um, you might have had an experience where you're rushing to the hospital for something. So maybe, um, maybe your wife was going into labor and like you're trying to get her there before the baby was lured. Um, this actually makes me think of, so I always thought it happened that way because that's how like TV shows always show it. But like I was talking to some friends at dinner the other night and they're like, no, it doesn't work that way at all. Like your water breaks and sometimes it's still like 12 hours before you deliver. But anyway, let's pretend it's like the TV shows. Water breaks, like you're rushing to the, the hospital. You don't want to deliver that baby in the back seat. Um, or maybe like someone's injured, you're hurt, you have a friend injured, you're trying to get to the ER, um, or maybe, maybe you've had this experience where there's been somebody on their deathbed, and you're trying to get to the hospital before that person passes, and so you know that in those moments, like interruptions are not welcome, like that's the last thing that you're going to tolerate, it could, be, it could be the president himself, and you're not stopping, so even if you haven't had that experience exactly, you can kind of imagine um, what that might be like. You can kind of, you can kind of imagine the, the desperation. You can kind of imagine the urgency that you would feel in that moment. And that's exactly what Jairus, who's one of the characters we're going to look at tonight, that's what he's feeling in this story. The desperation, that urgency. And, and what I want us to see from this story tonight is that interruptions are a, a normal and a natural part of life. Right? They happen to all of us. They happen every day. But the important thing, what really matters, is how we relate to those interruptions. And so tonight, we're going to see that when we meet Jesus, we start to relate to interruptions in a whole new way. Um, and so by looking at these characters, we're going to kind of see how we should relate to ourselves. We're going to see how we should relate to God. And we're going to re- uh, see how we should relate to others, all right? So that's kind of how we're going to set this up tonight. So look down at your Bibles, and uh, we're going to start in the text at verse 40, uh, right at the beginning. And um, since there's three characters and their stories are all kind of intertwined, um, we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit. We might have to backtrack and uh, read some of the same things, but kind of bear with me. Um, I think it'll really help us get some context for what's going on here. So I'm going to start reading in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and are pressing in on you. Um, Skip down to verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. 
But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. So the first character that we're going to meet is Jairus. And we're going to kind of talk about um, his uh, meeting Jesus. And and, um, Luke tells us a few things about Jairus. First, he tells us that he's a ruler of the synagogue. And so what that meant was that Jairus was a Pharisee. And um, he was kind of in charge of the happenings of the synagogue. So he probably did some administrative things. He also taught fairly frequently. So in many ways, Jairus was kind of like a pastor, right? So we know that about Jairus. And we also know that he has a daughter, an only daughter, who's 12 years old. Um, But the important thing here is that she's dying, right? His daughter is back home on her deathbed. And Jairus is here to get Jesus' help. And... um, Right away, we kind of feel the desperation and, and the urgency in this story. We see Jairus, this pastor, throwing himself at Jesus' feet, begging him to come home with him to heal his little girl. You know, I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about you fathers. And um, you, you guys have the gift of kind of feeling the weight of this story more than those of us without kids, especially those of you that have a daughter, um, especially an only daughter. And I don't have a daughter. We don't have any kids yet, but I pray one day I will. And as I was thinking about this, like, I could, I can hardly stand the thought of <clears throat> my little girl being at home on her deathbed while I'm trying to get help. And um, so let's put ourselves in the place of Jairus right now. They're, they're on their way. He, the only person that can help him has agreed to come. Jesus has agreed to come to his house. So they're, they're on their way to his house. And uh, you can imagine, like, they're in a crowd. So, like, if you've been in a crowd, like, if you're trying to get into a Rockies game or, like, a Nuggets game, uh, like, you know how tight it can be, especially at the Pepsi Center. Like, it's so congested. Like, you're trying to get up the escalators or down the escalators. And, like, even if, like, you're trying to get out in a hurry, it doesn't matter because, like, you're not going to move any faster than that crowd is, right? And that's, that's what Jairus is facing here. Like, he's in this crowd. He can't get him to move any faster, but he knows that the clock is ticking. And then on top of that, this woman steps in, touches Jesus, and he stops, right? Like, he won't move anymore. And so we're going to talk a little bit more of that in a minute, but for now, let's just put ourselves in Jairus's place. Like, just imagine how that would feel. Like, at, at that point, I think I would lose it. I think... I'd be knocking people out. I would be trying to clear people out of the way and just pulling on Jesus, like getting them back to my house. But we don't read anything about Jairus losing it. Um, in fact, we know he doesn't lose it because the way the story ends, at the end, we know that Jesus heals his little girl. Um, so he's rewarded for the way he responds to the situation. But in verse 49, <clears throat> we see that the bad news comes. Someone from Jairus' house comes, and he says, you know, you're too late. Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And in that moment, that moment that we, that we read about in verse 50, Jesus, he looks over at Jairus and he says, Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And, and that moment, that moment shouldn't be too foreign to us because that faith versus fear moment, that moment where we got to decide, are we going to have faith or are we going to fear? That's something that we all face. We should all be able to relate to on a number of different levels. See, there's, there's times, or there's a lot of times actually where you know, we all tend to have kind of a worst case scenario mentality. Um, and as, as I was thinking about that, like how, how I'm prone to that and how most of us are prone to that, uh, one, one thing I thought of is, I don't know if you've seen those direct TV commercials that um, they always start with the cable going out 
and then the cable goes out, and it leads to a ridiculous sequence of events, and then it ends in something like kind of comically tragic. So like the one I'm thinking of, the, the cable goes out, and to relieve the boredom, the guy decides that he's going to go hang gliding, because um, that's what you would do, right? If your cable goes out, you go hang gliding. And so then he takes the power out, like out of the whole city, because he hits some power lines, and this leads to that, that leads to this, and his dad gets punched over a can of soup. Um, I think it's really funny. Apparently Sam thinks it's funny too. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, you know, those, that marketing campaign from DirecTV, like, that's not just effective because uh, people think it's funny, or me and Sam think it's funny. Um, it's effective because it's, there's some part of that that we all relate to, right? There's a part of that that we all know is true about us. And so um, <clears throat> I was thinking about text messaging, how often this happens to me. Um, you know, we're so used to and, like, conditioned to this instant response. So when you text someone and they don't respond um, for, like, five minutes, and, like, if you have an iPhone, you know they're typing, right, because you see the dots. But if you don't see any dots, you're like, okay, like, what's going on? Like, was my joke not funny? You start scrolling up, see, was there anything that I said that could have been offensive? Do they not like me anymore? Are they hanging out with so-and-so, and so-and-so told them that I did this or said this? Like, we all got to have that worst-case scenario. Like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going to lose all my friends because this person won't respond to my text messages. Like, have you ever thought about, like, maybe they're in a meeting? Maybe they have good texting etiquette, and they're just not going to respond when they're hanging out with somebody? Um, so that, that was one place I thought of this happening. Or um, this one's also related to text messages. This happens to me a lot. But, like, um, you know, someone texts you, and they want to get together, like, ASAP, but they don't tell you why. They're like, hey, we need to talk now, um, or can we meet tomorrow? And then they don't say why. And so like, you, might, you immediately you start thinking, like, okay, like, um, what, what did I do? Like, um, are they, like, going to be <laughs> doing something really tragic, or, like, did something happen? And so it's like, automatically, we start jumping to these conclusions. Like, no, may- maybe they actually want to say, hey, like, encourage you, or um, great job at this, or give you some affirmation for something. So it's always, we always view those kind of things negatively. And I know those seem probably a little bit trivial. Um, Hopefully you can relate to them on some level. Uh, But I think they actually illustrate the first point I want to make really well. Because I think we always think that in a moment that Jairus is facing, in a moment that's like very, very, um, there's like a severe crisis going on, that like that makes sense. That's a moment where you need to choose to have faith and not fear. Um, But what we miss sometimes is that faith is essential for the routines of life, just like it's essential for the interruptions of life, all right? There's things that happen every day that we have to choose to have faith for. Um, Whether it's a text message, uh, whether it's a a problem with your car, whether it's a hard conversation you have to have at work, in all those situations, it's really easy to think that, um, like, it's not going to go your way. It's going to be as bad as it could possibly be. Um, But the first thing I, w- I want to say is, like, those are, the kind of, those are the kind of situations that faith is necessary. Like, that's, that's, a deci- that's a decision we have to make to have faith over fear, all right? But the other thing that I don't want to minimize is that there are some of you right now, um, and you are going through a major life interruption. Um, there's something that's happened that does seem extremely severe and tragic. And, you know, I don't know, maybe you lost a job, maybe... Um, maybe you lost a relationship or a number of relationships, um, and you just feel really lonely and abandoned. And what we learn from this story is that um, you know Jairus he f- 
he felt some of those emotions that you're feeling. Because Jairus was a real person in real history. And he was human. And so he was just as tempted as you are <clears throat> to think that, you know, to fear the worst. To think that, like, it was over. There was no hope for his daughter to come back. But we know that he didn't because of the way this ends. Like we said, Jesus rewarded Jairus' faith. But why? You know, I know that's not overly helpful, like, just have faith like Jairus. Why? Like, what was it that allowed Jairus to choose faith in that moment? What is it that's going to allow you to choose faith in those moments? Well, what we see is he had met Jesus, right? Jesus is, he's the X factor. He's the difference maker. Jesus, when we meet Jesus, we realize that, and we start to, we start to have strength to choose faith when fear makes a whole lot more sense. And, and the, what we realize is that, you know, he's actually out for our good. Like, Jesus is on our team. And we know that because he's proven that. What the gospel tells us is that when we meet Jesus, that worst-case scenario mentality that we all like to have and are prone to have is replaced with a best-case scenario mentality because we know, like, Jesus has already done the best case for us, right? He showed that on the cross, and so when we meet Jesus, we start to realize and we start to really believe that the one who controls all things, controls the situations at work, controls our relationships, controls everything, is out for our good and he's on our team. And those, that truth, like really believing that, that's what allows us to choose faith in those moments when fear is a whole lot easier and fear makes a whole lot more sense. So the next thing we're going to see is how we relate to God when life's interruptions happen. So we just saw how we should relate to ourselves. We saw we should choose faith over fear. Now we're going to see how we should relate to God. So let's look down at verse 43 and uh, follow along as I read through here. Like I said, some of it will be a little repetitive, but I think it's necessary. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, why she had been healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. All right, so now we're going to look at the woman. The woman without a name. She's just the woman. what's her relationship to this interruption? Well, she is the interruption, right? This woman is the interruption in this story. And Luke's going to tell us a few things about her, or he just did. He said that, um, one, she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. That's a long time. Um, Two, she had spent every penny that she had on trying to heal or get a healing for this condition. And then lastly, um, no doctor could help her. So Luke, he's actually a doctor himself, and this is his medical diagnosis of her. No doctor could help her. The situation was completely hopeless. And so that's pretty awful, right? But actually, the real tragedy of her condition is not just the physical condition she was in, but the implications that this had on her social life. See, in this culture, this condition made her ceremonially unclean. And what that meant was she couldn't touch anyone, 
she couldn't be touched, and she couldn't go to public worship, right? So she couldn't be here with us. She couldn't go to a city group. She couldn't go um, hang out with people because if she touched them, she would make them unclean, right? And so really, she shouldn't have been in this crowd in the first place because you know she was touching people, trying to force her way through the crowd to get to Jesus. Um, And everyone she touched would be unclean. And she had been this way for 12 years. That's a long, long time to be lonely and hopeless. But besides all that, what really jumps out to me about this story is her timing. Like this poor woman, right? She, she had this physical condition. Um, she was ostracized from her community. And then she picks the worst possible time to interrupt Jesus. And, you know, the reason that jumps out at me is because I think in the world that, that you and I live in, the world that we've grown up in, um, we've been taught from a very young age that timing is everything. You know this, whether it's trying to get a favor from a coworker um, or trying to get a favor from your parents, like your timing has to be perfect. And I remember this uh, when I was growing up, uh, pretty vividly actually, because there's a lot of things I wanted from my parents. And so, you know, I knew that in order to get what I wanted from my parents, like, there was certain things I could do to really stack the deck and, like, increase my odds of, of getting whatever it was. And so, like, I knew that depending on what I wanted, like, it made more sense to go to my dad or my mom, right? But I also knew that, like, 75% of the time, my dad was just going to say, go ask your mom. And so I kind of had to factor that into the equation as well, right? But beyond all that, after doing all my calculations, I knew that of primary importance was my timing. If my timing was off, it could blow the whole thing, Right? You guys know this. <clears throat> and so, you know, if my parents were upset with each other, if they were mad at me, if my sister was being a brat, like, there was no way they were going to even think about giving me what I wanted. And, you know, like I said, you guys know this. Whether it's work, you're trying to get a raise from your boss, like, you know there's a time to ask for that, and there's a time not to. Um, whether you're trying to get a coworker to cover a shift for you, like, there's a time to ask for that, and there's a time not to. Um, and so I think what happens is a lot of us carry that mentality into our relationship with God. And one of the beautiful things about this story is that it shows us that God isn't that kind of parent. Like, you don't have to strategize and pick the perfect time when you come to God. You just have to be willing to ask for it. And that's what we see with this woman. Like, a lot of us in her, in her same place, I don't think we would have done it. I think we would have maybe tried to calculate and tried to figure out, okay, like, when's the best time for me to, to approach the Savior? Um, but what we see is this woman's boldness is rewarded with a healing. And, you know, like I said, I think we think about God this way. I think um, one way we, we do this is, especially when it comes to sin, we think that, you know, when we mess up, um, that we've got we've to beat ourselves up a little bit before we can come back to God and ask him for something. Um, I think that uh, if we've really kind of messed up, we've got to maybe uh, men- spend some time thinking about what we've done. And um, maybe after like a certain amount of time, we can kind of come crawling back. And uh, we kind of like transition from being like out of his grace or out of his favor, like back into it. And, you know, I think that that's normal for us to think because of the way we've, like I said, we've been conditioned. But um, I think what happens is when we meet Jesus, we realize that God's a whole lot different than we ever anticipated. Like, God's not that way. And l- let me tell you why that is. <clears throat> I 
at the very heart of the gospel, of the Christian gospel, what we see is that we were given a gift that we didn't know we needed at a time when we least deserved it. And the reason that we least deserved it, because the Bible talks about our condition before meeting Jesus. And that condition is that we were enemies of God. And you know that if you're having a fight with your parents or you're having a fight with your boss, like you're not getting anything from them, right? But the Bible says when we were enemies of God, he gave us the greatest gift we could ever be given. And we didn't want it, and we definitely didn't ask for it. And so that's why the sign of spiritual maturity is not how long you stay from the cross when you sin, but how quickly you can get back to it, okay? Like a lot of us think that we've got to spend some time away, we've got to pay for it. But what we, what we totally don't realize is like God doesn't want us to pay for our sin. Like he paid for it. He doesn't want us to spend some time away from him. Jesus was separated from the Father for us. We don't have to strategize and, and wheel and deal and stack the deck when we're trying to ask God for something. We just have to ask so the last, last thing we're going to see tonight is how we relate to others. And we're going to see this by looking at Jesus in this story. Um, look at verse 40 with me. I'm going to start from the beginning again. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Let's skip down to verse 47. And when, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Jesus is on his way to rescue this little girl from her deathbed. Um, when he stopped, right, because he perceived that power had gone forth from him. And if you don't get a sense of the ridiculousness of this situation just by reading it, you get it from Peter in verse 50, right? And um, so Peter, Peter kind of has this reputation of being the guy um, that says what everybody else is thinking, but nobody else is dumb enough to say, all right? And some of you, like, you have that gift, right? And you know how that goes for you. Like, usually it doesn't work out so well. You get into trouble. Once in a while, though, you get lucky. Um, Peter doesn't get lucky here, though, unfortunately for Peter. And um, so what we see is Peter, or, uh, Jesus stops. Everyone knows that this little girl's on her deathbed, and he's asking, who touched me? And Peter's like, Jesus, you're in a crowd. Everybody is touching you. And, you know, and then we see his rebuke from Jesus, and Jesus says, thank you, Captain Obvious. Like, I know that I'm in a crowd, but I actually just healed somebody. Um, and I think most of us would probably feel pretty stupid in that moment, right? But I don't think Peter did, because Peter... He kind of has a pattern of doing this um, throughout the New Testament, so he probably didn't think twice about it. But I want you to put yourself in the place of that woman right now. Just imagine what she felt. Like, she had kind of, like, snuck in and stolen this miracle in a way. And, um, and now she had to own it, right? Like, she was the reason why this whole crowd had just come to a standstill. She was the reason why the highly influential ruler, Jairus, was kept waiting. Um, and now Jesus was waiting for her, to come forward. So you can kind of like imagine the anxiety that she felt. Um, She's probably really fearful of being embarrassed. Um, There's probably all sorts of emotions going on. But notice the way that Jesus treats her in verse 48. What we see Jesus say, he 
says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And um, I think what we kind of miss in our English translation is uh, the tenderness that that word daughter communicates. I think this is one of the only times that Jesus uses this word for daughter um, in the New Testament. And so Jesus is incredibly tender towards her, um, incredibly comforting. And so you can imagine the relief that she felt. Like she was expecting um, probably to be embarrassed. Uh, She was probably expecting some sort of uh, chastisement, um, some scorn. I don't know, probably a lot of other things. And all she receives is tenderness and compassion from the Savior. But what I really want us to see is that, you know, it would have been really easy for Jesus just to keep moving. I think that's what I would have done. Um, I think I would have kept moving. But he doesn't do that. Jesus actually prioritizes her. He doesn't ignore her in that moment. He prioritizes her. So why does Jesus stop? Why in that moment does he decide to stop and recognize this woman? Um, I want to look at a quote by a pastor named G.H. Moreland. He's an Australian pastor. This is an observation that he made about interruptions in the Gospels. He said, A valuable study of the Gospels could be made, noticing how many times Jesus gave some of his greatest teachings in circumstances where he had simply been interrupted. How different this is from us. We hate to be interrupted. To Jesus, the importance seemed to lie in the person whose path had crossed his own. Things don't just happen in the providence of God. The interruption may well be our highest task at that very moment. I want you to think about the interruptions in your life this past week. I bet a lot of you have a person in mind, right? And if you're a parent, you probably have a couple people, maybe little people, right? Talk about kids. Just to be clear. Like Jesus, the interruptions in our lives, a lot of times they're people, right? But what we see from this story is that the people that are like this woman, those people that we're most likely to ignore and overlook, like those are the very people that we should stop for. Those are the people that we should prioritize. And so I want to be clear. There are times where we see Jesus ignore people, all right? But when he does that, they're not these kind of people, all right? Typically, they're religious people. They're people with ill intentions. But people that need him the way this woman did, like those are the people that he stops for and he prioritizes. And so these are the very people that I think are really easy for you and I to make really, really probably pretty good excuses why we don't have time for them, why they would really be an interruption that would be detrimental in some spiritual sort of way. Um, you know, these are the people that are just needy, that, are, that kind of suck the life out of us. Um, the people that are just kind of hard to like. But we see over and over again, just like in the case of this woman, like these are the people that Jesus makes time for. These are the people that need him, and he's more than willing to stop what he's doing and be interrupted. When we start treating people the way Jesus did, we begin to see that we have a lot fewer interruptions in our lives than we thought we did. And uh, let me be really honest. Um, This makes me uncomfortable. And uh, the reason this makes me uncomfortable is because I'm extremely type A. And so I really enjoy being productive. I really enjoy knocking out my to-do list. I'm the person that adds things to my to-do list that I've already done just so I can check them off. Um, Some of you do that too. Don't laugh. And um, when I start thinking this way, um, you know, I realize that, like, 
when I'm interrupted by, by needy people and people that um, they want a little bit of my time, like it's really easy for me um, to excuse that away. And it's really easy for me um, to make up a good reason why I can't do it right then. And, um, you know, I'm fine with making time for people when it's like they give me plenty of notice and I can fit it in my finely tuned schedule um, and I can like, you know, plug it into iCal and change the color and, you know, add all my, my scheduling details. Like that's the kind of planner I am. But when I get a, a phone call or a text that's right in the middle when I'm working on a project, um, it's really easy for me to just ignore that, right? Like you guys know what that's like. Like most of you have a smartphone of some sort. So you know how easy it is to hit ignore or send a voicemail. And um, I know there's times where, like, that is appropriate. But I think most of us do that far more frequently than we probably should. And I think what this story does is it really challenges us to prioritize those people that need us. To prioritize those people that God puts in our paths that need us to love on them the way that Jesus does. And so when I look at this story, what I see is there's nothing— that I have to get done that's more important than people that need to meet Jesus. There really isn't. There's, there's nothing on my to-do list that's more important than people that need to be shown love and tenderness and compassion. And I think what we learn from this story is that we don't treat interruptions like interruptions at all. I think we actually prioritize them. I, I think we actually start to think about them more as opportunities than we do interruptions. So, you know, we talked about at the beginning how, how negative of a feeling we all get when we start thinking about interruptions. And, um, you know, I understand why that is. But I think what we've seen tonight is we, sh- we maybe should process interruptions in a little bit different way. We should at least relate to them in a little bit different way. Because, like I just said, when we start relating to interruptions this way, um, we realize that they're opportunities. They're an opportunity for us to choose faith over fear, right? That's what we talked about first. Um, and the reason why we can do that, right, is we talked about when we meet Jesus, we have the strength to choose faith because we realize what he's already done in the gospel, He's already done the best case scenario for us so that we can always have that best case scenario mentality. So we have an opportunity to choose faith over fear when we're interrupted. I think we also have an opportunity just to ask Jesus for what we need. You know, there's a lot of times I think we're interrupted and that's not the first thing we do. I think we we run to a lot of other things, um, but we don't just hit the ground and ask Jesus for what we need. We think we've got to have the perfect timing um, before we ask him for things. Um, and, and we talked about, especially when, when we sin, we think that we've got to spend some time paying for our sin, right, by, by spending time away from God, by staying away from the church, by staying away from community. But that's, that's immature. When we understand the gospel, we come back to the cross. We realize he's already paid for it. And lastly, I think it's an opportunity for us to prioritize people the same way that Jesus did. You know, I think it's so easy for us to view those people um, as kind of just maybe a waste of time. And maybe we, don't, we wouldn't verbalize that or think that, um, but it's easy to, 
to kind of justify why we could be spending time doing something else and, and why we should do that. But what we see in the story is that Jesus is on his way to raise someone from the dead, right? So unless you've got something more important to do than that, like, you don't really have an excuse. There's people that we need to make time for. They need to meet Jesus. And we need to make the most of those opportunities. <clears throat> so in a minute, I'm going to pray. And... Um, I just want to challenge you guys to really to think about the way you think about interruptions, the way you relate to others, the way you relate to God, the way you relate to yourself when interruptions happen. And I really, I want, I want to challenge you to just maybe think about one area, maybe one thing that you can kind of apply from this that would help you deal with those interruptions a little bit more um, like we see Jesus doing in this story. Or maybe, maybe an opportunity where you need to be choosing faith over fear, where you need to decide to stop having a worst-case scenario mentality and start having a best-case scenario mentality. Or maybe to quit trying to play chess before you come to God and just come. So I'm going to pray, and after I pray, uh, or after we finish, I mean, I'm going to be up here in the front. Andy's going to be in the back. Um, If you just want to come talk to us, we'd love to talk to you. If there's anything we can do to help you, if we can pray for you, we'd love to do that. Uh, So let me close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this series that we have been going through in Luke, and I thank you for all the people that we've met and all the stories we've studied and seen um, what happened when people, when they met you, and, and seen the life change that happened and seen what you did in their lives. And you know, tonight was no exception, Lord. I thank you for this story that, that you include in the book of Luke and um, for this opportunity that we saw um, where we, we find strength to choose faith over fear. Um, and Lord, how the gospel provides that strength for us and how you've already done that best case scenario mentality so that we can carry that with us throughout our weeks and, and days and lives. Um, Lord, how, Lord, we don't have to have perfect timing when we come to you. Uh, I just feel like that's so practical and I, I, I do that all the time. Um, I just ask that you'd help us to, to really believe what the gospel says is true and that you're not that kind of parent and that you're eager and that you're waiting to give us what we ask for. And I pray that, Lord, we would just prioritize people, those people that need us, that need your love and compassion, um, those people that are hard to love sometimes, Lord. Please help us to prioritize them. And Lord, um, I just thank you for this church and I thank you for those that are here tonight. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would, you would bless the rest of our weekend. Lord, I know most of us probably have the day off tomorrow, and that we would just enjoy that, and uh, we would make the.